God is good, isn't he? Sorry? God is good? Amen. You know, I want to start off by thanking you for your prayers for Kim and I. You know, um, three years ago, uh, we entered into a time of testing. I thought we were going through hell. It was very interesting our brother shared about turbulence because uh, I was called out in a meeting not dissimilar to this the other, other day, and the guy didn't know me, and he looked at me and he said, in the last three years, you've gone through a little turbulence. I thought, no, I've gone through hell. But it gave me a perspective. You know, God, who's the captain, God, who's flying the, the plane, thought it was turbulence. Me, as a passenger, thought it was hell, you know. And I've been on those flights where the captain says, you know, fasten your safety belts. We're going to be going through a little turbulence. And you think, oh, my goodness, is that what he calls turbulence? But it's not, you know, sometimes we need to see things from God's perspective. You know, when three years ago, January, uh, Kim was diagnosed with cancer and they told her she had seven months to live, we entered into what I would consider a time of testing. But just two weeks ago, we were here in Guy's Hospital in London and the professor who's been to, took Kim under her care said, uh, I need to show you these scans. And she showed us the scans when we first went there. And then she showed us the scan that they had just done. And on the first scan, she showed us all the cancers. And on the second scan, she said, show me the cancers. And we looked, and we could not see any. And I said, well, I can't see them. And she said, neither can we. And the treatment that Kim's been having has only been designed to be palliative. You know what that means is they can't improve, they can't kill the cancer, but they can give you a better quality of life. I said, what's going on? Your treatment's not meant to shrink these cancers. She said, no, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, God is amazing. And we are so grateful for those of you that prayed. And, you know, we feel like we're coming out of the wilderness. And, you know, when Jesus came out of the wilderness, it tells us he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, God is looking for us to be a people of power. You know, but we need to keep our eyes focused on him. You know, uh, we sang a song this morning that said, you know, I'll keep my eyes above the wind and the waves. You know, it was when Peter saw the wind and the waves that he started to sink. He took his eyes off of Jesus and started to focus on the circumstances. We cannot afford to do that. Turn to the person next to you and say, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, whatever you're going through or whatever you might be going through in the near future, I want to tell you, God sees it as turbulence. This ship is not going down. This plane is not crashing. We are going to see his plans and purposes fulfilled in our nation. You know, I find it interesting today is a national day of prayer. And Christians all across this nation are praying for our nation. You know, we need to do that. You know, we need to, we might not agree with our government. We, we might have different political views, but we are called to pray for them. 
regardless of what our political views are, we are called to pray for them. And I believe, as Martin encouraged us, we should pray for wisdom for our government. Whatever political party we're praying for, we should pray that they hear God and bring about God's plans and purpose for our nation. You know, we're living in exciting times in history. You think, I don't, you don't, don't you think it's exciting? I think it's exciting. Why? You know, you need to look at what God is doing. You know, all over this world, Christianity is growing faster than any other faith. That's not true in Western Europe at the moment. But all the signs are that things are changing. You know, and I believe that Europe will be saved. You know, we need to be men and women who are led by the Spirit of God, who understand the times we are living in. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32 tells us, The sons of Issachar were men who understood the times with a knowledge of what Israel should do. You know, and I believe that we need to be believers who understand the times that we are living in. And more than that, we should have a knowledge of what our response should be to these times. You know, you can have a worldly response to things. You know, a few years ago, as a nation, we went into a recession. And everything I saw on the news was negative. And they were, one news report, I remember watching, they were saying how people had stopped giving. You know, it encourages me that you're giving, you know, and you're giving to the poor. And there are 149 hampers, praise God. You know, but when this recession happened, people stopped giving. And I thought, as Christians, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And I said to my wife, I'm offended by the fact that charities are receiving less in this recession than they've ever done. And I said, we are going to give more than we've ever given. And we decided that year we would increase our giving by a certain amount. And you know, at the end, which was sacrificial for us, but at the end of the year, I want to tell you, we were more blessed than we'd ever been. And we entered into the second year of recession. And I said to God, what do you want me to do this year? And he said, I want you to double the extra you gave last year. And I said, really? I said, and he said, yes. So we doubled the extra. On top of our tithes and our offerings and the giving that we were giving to other things, we doubled the extra we were giving. And you know, at the end of that year, guess what? We were more blessed than we had ever been. We entered into the third year of recession. And I said to God, what do you want me to do this year? He said, I want you to double it again. I said, what, double the first year? He said, no, double the second year. I said, are you sure? He said, yes, I'm sure. And we doubled what we'd given the third year. And you know, at the end of that year, we were more blessed than we'd ever been. Because, you know, in God's kingdom, you need to know there is no recession. You know, in God's kingdom, if we give, he gives back to us. The thing is that often we want to receive before we give. God says, give and it will be given to you. Turn to the person next to you and say, give and it will be given to you. 
You know, that's not just financial. That's in every area of life. Yeah, if you don't have any friends, be a friend to somebody. If you're not healthy, pray for somebody that needs health. Give and it will be given to you. You know, we need to understand the times that we're living in. If we're going to enter into all that God has for us, then we need to do that. We need to hear God's voice and understand how we need to respond to what he's saying. You know, when you look at the world around us, it might seem to the natural eye that things aren't very hopeful. You know, people, things are being shaken. People are worried about Brexit, whether we're going to be in, whether we're going to be out, whether we're going to be a part in and part out. And they're worrying about those things. And there's a lot of negative press. And, you know, things seem to be getting darker. You know, the doomslayers are saying we're going to enter into another recession. You know, they're saying it's going to be bad for us as a nation. We need to understand what God is saying. You know, and we need to see things through the eyes of faith. You know, Abraham, Paul tells us about Abraham. He says, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. God had told them they were going to have a child. He was 100, she was 90. Now, have we got any 90-year-olds here today? What's the oldest person we've got? I'm 61, so maybe I'm the oldest one. But, you know... Here he is at 90, he looks at his own body and he says, this is impossible. I'm 100 and my wife is 90. We can't have children. In the natural, it was impossible. But God had promised. You know, and God is faithful to his promises. Amen? God is faithful, so he didn't look at the natural. He determined Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. He chose to believe what God said. You know, we always have that option. We can believe what circumstances say. We can believe what other people say. Or we can believe what God says. You know, I want to tell you, if you're believing the first two, you're standing on shifting sands. And when everything that can be shaken will be shaken, you will collapse just as much as a house built on sand would collapse. You know, when they told us Kim was going to die in seven months, my response was, Jeremiah 29:11 says, God has a plan for my wife, a plan to prosper her and not to harm her, a plan to give her a future and a hope. And the doctors were saying she had no future and no hope. And I said, no, Kim, we believe that you have a future and a hope. You know, and I did more than that. I decided if the devil was going to give me a, and my wife and my family a hard time, I wasn't going to waste the time 
And during these last few three years, I've written a book about healing. Because I determined if the devil was going to try and steal our health, I was going to give the church something to stop him doing it. And I said to God, this book will be published when she's cancer-free. January, we're going to the publishers. God is faithful to his promises. And we need to get hold of them and confess them. You know, we, we decourse the direction of our lives by what we say. It's so important that what we say agrees with what God says. So Abraham didn't waver because what his natural eyes saw, but he grew strong in faith. He looked through the eyes of faith, and it says he knew God was able. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is able. God is able to fulfill all his promises. You know, uh, things might seem to be getting darker and darker, but the Oxford English Dictionary describes darkness as the absence of light. Darkness is not a state of itself. It's the state of something being missing. You know, as long as we are in this world and not hiding our light, there can't be darkness because we are the light of the world. You know, I used to travel a lot to Asia and I went to Sri Lanka quite a lot. And you could buy nice jewelry for your wife there at quite a reasonable price. And I used to go into the jeweler's workshop and he would smile, Oh, good morning, Mr. Grant. How are you doing? I am very pleased to see you. He was, because he knew I was a good customer. But the first thing he would do was he'd take a piece of black velvet and he would lay it on his work surface. And then he would take out the gems and shake them on the black velvet. And you know, I said to him, why do you do that? He said, there is nothing else reflecting light when the stones are against a black background. And you see the true beauty of each stone. You know, it might seem that things are getting darker and darker, but I believe they're getting darker that we might shine brighter and brighter. You know, as God is creating the backdrop in which we as his people will shine. But that will only happen if we don't hide our light. If we shine as we are meant to. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, it might appear like things are getting darker and darker. But if in that darkness we shine brighter, we are heading for great times with God. I might have told you this story before. It's one of my favorite ones. But, you know, I took my son sailing many years ago. 
We decided uh, my, there was a group of dads that stood around at the football and when our sons were playing football on a Saturday afternoon and we got talking and we found out we all had an interest in sailing. So we hired a 42-foot catamaran and we decided that we were going to sail from the Hamble down near Southampton down to the Channel Islands over one weekend. And we decided we would take our sons. So the dads and their sons confidently got on this, uh, this catamaran and we sailed out of the Hamble and I'm listening to the weather forecast. And it says there's going to be a Force 8 gale in the channel. And we talked about it and we decided that if we got out into the channel quickly, we could be blown all the way down to the Channel Islands on the front of the gale. The problem was we weren't quite as good sailors as we imagined we were. And it took us a little bit longer time to get out into the channel. And once we got into the channel and had gone to the point of no return, we realized we weren't going out on the front of the storm. We'd sailed out into the middle of the storm. Now, I don't know how high the mast was. It was probably 25, 30 feet high, and the waves were breaking over the top of it. And we'd all had lasagna for lunch while we were setting up the boat before we left the harbor. And all the sons were now leaning over the side, losing their lasagna. And there was one spirit on this boat, and it wasn't faith. And we were sailing along beside the Isle of Wight, and I have never been in weather like it. It was terrifying. And I'm thinking, Lord, I don't want to die. <laughs> Please, I don't want to die. And we're sailing along. We see the Needles Lighthouse. And then in the distance, I see two lights, one red and one green. And I look on my map, and I realize that the red and the green light are the, the, the sign to the entrance to Paul Harbor. And I'm able to steer this yacht. And as we go through those lights, the sea becomes calm. And the waves lessen and the wind lessens. And I know we're safe. You know, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light at the entrance to the safe haven. You know, the world experiences wind and waves, but we are in a place where they shouldn't shake us because we are on the rock which is unshakable. Huh? But if we don't shine, we leave them to a lost eternity because there is no light at the entrance to the safe haven. You know, Jesus said, let your light shine before men. You know, there are a couple of prophecies that I believe help us understand the times in which we're living in. And it's important to understand where we're living. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, I don't know if you've heard about him. He's one of my uh, favorite saints. You know, he's uh, a man that I aspire to be like. You know, uh, he was a crazy man, but I used to be a plumber. And so was Wigglesworth. So I feel like I got a head start, you know. In 1947, you know, he wasn't a man given to prophesying, but he gave a prophesy and he talked in this prophecy of three distinct moves of God. 
He said these three distinct moves would happen over the next few decades. And he said during the next few decades, remember he's speaking in 1947, he said there would be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across Great Britain. He said the first will affect every church that is open to receive it and will be characterized by a restoration of the baptism and gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the 50s, 60s and early 70s, the Holy Spirit was poured out in churches all across this nation. I remember when I got saved, there being a man in the URC church just down the road from us. He was the minister of it. We were a guy called Dacre Wicks. And one Sunday morning, he had been praying for the Holy Spirit to fall in his church and it fell on him and he danced in front of the altar. And as he walked to say goodbye to people at the end of the service, the elders of the church gave him a note and said, we don't want you to be our pastor anymore, we're sacking you. And men and women of God paid a price for the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming into their churches in this nation in those decades. And then Wigglesworth carried on. He said, then there will be a second great move. And this will be characterized by people leaving traditional churches and starting new churches. And in the late 70s and early 80s into the 90s, there were new churches that popped up all over Britain. And uh, Wigglesworth carried on, he said, but when these churches start to wane, he said, that will be a sign that you're entering into the third great move of God. And the third great move of God, he said, would be greater than the Welsh revival or the Wesleyan revival. It would spread across this nation. It wouldn't stop in this nation, but it would go across the channel into Europe and throughout Europe and then would affect the nations of this world. You know, I come from one of those new churches. You know, and for me, it was really sad that that church has started to wane. You know, we were a church running at over a thousand people at one time, and it's now maybe a hundred people. There is no doubt in my mind that the new churches are waning to some degree. And I was quite depressed about that. Then God reminded me of this prophecy, and I, I had always remembered it about a prophecy about being the Word and the Spirit coming together. And when I read it and read about the churches waning, I realized we're living in that time. And if that's the time we're living in, then we're in the borderlands of the greatest revival this nation has ever seen. And I got excited about that. I don't know, you're not excited about that? No, you're not. Well, I'm sad for you. <laughs> if you're... I read stories about the Welsh Revival and the Wesleyan Revival. And I tell you, that was awesome. And if we're going to enter into something that's better than that, I want to be part of it. The second prophecy was by, given by a lady called Jean Darnell in 1967. Remember, Wigglesworth gave his in 1947. He died just later that year. Yet two of the things he prophesied came true already. You know, I, if someone is that accurate, that makes me start to listen. You know, when this guy called me out in the meeting the other week and said, you know, you've had three years of turbulence, I'm thinking, he knows something about me. But he didn't know me. 
Jean Darnell prophesied she had a vision of the British Isles. She saw it as in a bird's eye view. She said there was a kind of fog all across the nation. And then she said, I saw pinpricks of light begin to appear from the top of Scotland to the land's end. Then the Lord seemed to draw her closer and she saw these lights were fires that were burning and were multiplying from the top of Scotland to land's end. Then she saw something like lightning come and strike those fires. The brightest spots were struck. And there was a kind of explosion and rivers of fire flowed down through the nation. Again, there was a sense of from the top of Scotland down to Land's End. But these rivers of fire didn't stop. They flowed throughout this nation and went across the channel and into Europe. You know, I believe that these two prophecies are beginning to come true in our lifetime. John 4, Jesus encouraged the disciples to lift up their eyes and see what God was doing. You know, I want to encourage you to lift up your eyes and see what God's doing. You know, I believe that he is set in the backdrop for revival. You know, and we might be praying for peace in our nation, and maybe that's the right thing to do, but that might not be the peace that we're expecting. You know, we might be a people who can live in peace in turbulent times, you know, because I believe that God is beginning to shake everything that can be shaken in our nation, that our nation might once again turn to know the God who created the heavens and the earth. We need to understand the times we're living in. We need to lift up our eyes and see where we are in history and what we're called to do. It's encouraging to look at what's happened in the last 70 years and to realize that God knew what was going to happen. You know, Wigglesworth prophesied in 1947. Jean Darnell prophesied in 1967. Hudson Taylor in 1867 prophesied. He said, I see a great war happening in Europe. And this war will spread and become a worldwide war. And then it will become peace. But he said, a second war will start. And that will again spread across the nation, nations of this world. Two world wars. He said, after these two world wars, the Russian-speaking people will hear the gospel in a new way. You think there was two world wars? And then the Iron Curtain came down and the Russian-speaking people heard the gospel. And he said, there will come a time when the outpouring in Russia has reached everywhere it's meant to be going and the Russian-speaking people will start to come into the Western Europe to preach the gospel. You know, I work with some Russian groups and every one of them recently have said to me, we believe it's time for us to preach the gospel in the West. Is God at work? You know, when we hit problems, when we hit turbulence, we worry about what God's doing, what's going on. But in 1867, 
God knew what was going to be going on in 2019. He told his people and he can tell us what he's doing and how we should respond. Wigglesworth said this third move would be unique because people of the spirit and people of the word would come together. And there would be an enriching of the church, you know. And I get, I'm privileged to travel all over the show and I meet with groups of Christians from all different backgrounds that at this time are deciding that denominational barriers, stream barriers are no longer important, but that the important thing is that we come together and that we, not that we'll be the same, but that we work together to see God's plans and purposes fulfilled. I believe that is a sign that we are living in these times. You know, I was privileged to have lunch with Jean Darnell a number of years ago. I was one of about 50, so don't think I was too ex- exalted. But she said she saw the fires were groups of people in whom God had planted a desire for New Testament Christianity, a people who were seeking for the power of the Holy Spirit who were joined together with people of different backgrounds and different denominations, and it would cause an enriching of the church. I see that happening. And they said new ministries would be formed, and I see that happening. We've just formed a new ministry. You know, if I didn't have enough going on in my life with my wife being diagnosed with terminal cancer, the church that I work for, January this year decided that all their full-time staff they were going to make redundant you know so we would no longer get any support after that and you know that's a little you could you could feel a little bit shaken you know and we questioned well you know is that should I retire I'm 61 and God said to me there is no retirement in my kingdom what are you talking about but we formed a new ministry and God is already blessing us Because he is faithful. He is the one who supplies all our needs. He's the I am. What did he say to Moses? I tell them I am sent you. I am your provider. I am your healer. I am the father to the fatherless. I'm the husband to the husbandless. I am whatever you need me to be. He is whatever we need him to be. You know, Jean Darnell said this lightning explosion that particularly touched the brightest fires was God. And she said, as he touched this desire for New Testament Christianity, this explosion was God causing that desire to flow out of the church and into the community. Revival always starts with the church. But if it's a real revival, it doesn't stop in the church. It flows out and people get saved and nations get transformed. You know, I'm confessing, I work in Bulgaria a lot and I just started telling down the pastors down there, Bulgaria will be saved. And they sort of looked at me and laughed. I said, I know that Bulgaria will be saved. And they said, how do you know that? I said, well, I was praying 
And I had Reinhard Bonker's newsletter. And in his crusade in Nigeria, two million people got saved during one crusade. And I realized that Bulgaria is only a nation of five million people. And I said to God, well, if we can get Reinhard to come and do three crusades, the whole nation will get saved. And they laughed. And I said, well, it's not that funny. I said, because God told me that Reinhard didn't need to come, but that we could do the same. And something in their hearts stirred that they could see their nation transformed. I believe we could see this nation transformed as well. We might be a bit bigger, but there's a few more Christians here as well. And if we let our light shine, we will see this transformation take place. If we hunger for God, you know, we're talking about prayer, and it is so important. You know, prayer is about us having a relationship with God. It's not about us just giving him a list of petitions. You know, this is what I want. Why aren't you doing it? It's about saying, God, I surrender all that I have. What do you want me to do for you? You know, we sang it this morning. I surrender. Are you ready to surrender your life and do whatever God says? Are you ready to keep your eyes on him and allow him to call you out of the boat and start to walk on the water? Or are you just singing nice songs? You know, we can sing these truths, but I believe we are entering into the times when God wants us to live these truths. You know, all across the nation, groups of people are coming together with a hunger for the Holy Spirit and fire, with a desire to see God's work in them, his word formed in them in life. You know, if you look around this world, both of these things are coming under challenge. You know, the word of God is being challenged. You know, we believe God's word is the truth. But this world will tell you that truth is relative. What's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. And, you know, I want to tell you, some people don't like the truth that we have. You know, and sometimes it's closer to home than we might expect. I read recently of a man who was in one of the cathedrals of this nation, walking around the grounds, reading his Bible out loud. He wasn't shouting, he was just reading it. And the people in charge of the cathedral called the police and had him arrested for reading the Bible in the grounds of a cathedral. You know, there was a young man at university doing a course in social services. And he was asked a question on social media to which he posted a passage of scripture. And the university's response was to kick him off his course because they didn't like what the scripture said. Universities all around this nation now 
are refusing to give Christian unions rooms to meet in because they don't like what the Word says. You know, we are living in times when God's Word is coming under attack. You know, and Christians are responding to these pressures by reinterpreting scriptures to make them more palatable for the age in which we live in. Do they really believe that 2,000 years of doctrine and tradition were wrong? And they've got a new revelation that suddenly no one has ever heard of before that is different and right? Or are they just responding to be a more palatable sort of faith? I don't believe God got it wrong. I don't believe 2,000 years of theologians got it wrong. I believe God's word is true. And it's not always palatable. And yes, as Christians, we've been guilty of judging people that we should have loved and rejecting people that we should have cared for. But two wrongs don't make a right. We cannot change our theology to be more acceptable. We have to change who we are so they realize that God loves them. So that they realize that we are a people who have the knowledge of where they can enter into the place of peace. You know, Paul says the gospel is a stumbling block to some, but it requires all of us to change. Every one of us who are even, if you've been a Christian, I've been a Christian 40 years, and I open my Bible sometimes, and God says, Tim, it's time to change. And I'm reminded of a, a great Christian speaker, and he was talking with God one day. His name's Bob Mumford, and he was talking with God one day, and God said to him, Bob, the trouble is, you and I are incompatible, and I don't change. You know, we are incompatible, and God wants us to change, to be more like him. You know, we have to be a people that reflect his glory to this world. Yes, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We're here to demonstrate a different kingdom, set up on different principles. You know, in God's kingdom, if you want to live, you have to die. In God's kingdom, if you want to receive, you have to give. If you want to become great, you humble yourself. In God's kingdom, when trials come, it's a time to rejoice. And needs are just an opportunity for us to see God at work. You know, the economics of God's kingdom means a young boy's lunch will feed 5,000 people and have 12 basketfuls left over because he's a God of more than enough. You know, in God's kingdom, if you meet his followers and you're sick, you should be well. Because in God's kingdom, there is no sickness or pain. And we are called to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if it was true when Jesus walked this world with his disciples, it should be true now. You know, and I'm excited because I'm meeting people that are seeing that even now. A friend of mine goes out on the streets regularly and he's made himself a t-shirt. And it says, are you sick? Look at the back of my t-shirt. 
And when you look at the back of his T-shirt, it says, ask me and I will pray for you. And he's got people stopping him every day to ask for prayer. And every day he's seeing people get healed. He's got himself a little website now and he, fo- he films their testimonies on a phone and puts them up on his website. You know, because God is a God who heals. You know, I was in Germany at the beginning of this year and I was going out to speak at a conference. And uh, I was there on the Friday. The conference was over the weekend and the pastor said to me, oh, our church has got a, a prayer meeting this evening, Tim. You don't need to come to that. Just sit back and relax because we want to get the most out of you at the conference. So I said, no, I don't want to sit in this flat on my own while you all go off to pray. I said, I'll come and pray with you. So myself and my interpreter, we went to this prayer meeting. And we're praying and, you know, and then at the end of the prayer meeting, there's a time of ministry and they bring this lady up and she's on crutches. And, you know, we don't really, because we're not getting a great translation, so we don't really know what's going on with us. But I just pray. I said, God, whatever's wrong with her, heal her right now. And... She said, I can feel my legs. And I thought, well, that's nothing unusual. I can feel my legs as well. And then she said, 20 years ago, I had an operation and they severed the nerve to my legs. And for 20 years, I've had no feeling in my legs because I have no feeling. I can't walk without crutches because I can't feel my feet touching the ground. She put her crutches to one side and she started to walk really badly. She started to walk really badly. And I thought, Lord, we need more than this. We don't want to just, you know, a little bit of healing. God said, give it time. The next morning, she walked into the conference carrying the crutches above her head. 20 years, no feeling in her legs. One moment, God set her free. I want to tell you, God is faithful. Whatever he's promised you, he's able to fulfill it. You know, we're called to be a spirit-filled, powerful church. You know, it saddens me. Even that is coming under attack. You know, I go to churches now and I say, what sort of church? Oh, we're a charismatic, spirit-filled, Bible-believing church. And when I go there, You know, it's signified by having the songs on an overhead projector and singing lively songs and occasionally lifting your hands. And they said, see, we're spirit. And I thought, there's no sign of the Holy Spirit moving in that church whatsoever. You know, and if that's what being a spirit-filled, Bible-believing, para-released church is all about, that you get a nice feeling when you're having worship. You know, somebody said to me, I don't like the worship in your church. I said, that's okay, you're not meant to like it. God is. (laughs) Church isn't about us. It's about him. And it's about us being his representatives here on earth. Us being the people he intended us to be. You know, let's not be like the two and a half tribes that got left behind on the wrong side of the Jordan. You know, all the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They all went through the wilderness. They all saw God part the sea and then walk through on dry land. They all saw provision daily. 
And then they got to the Jordan and they saw the promised land. And it was everything God had said it was going to be. Yet two and a half tribes said, actually, we're happy to stay here. This is good enough for us. And chose not to enter in to everything that God had promised them. You know, I don't want to be part of a church that doesn't enter in to everything that God's promised me. You know, we are, yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm looking at that one. You know, we are a people who are meant to be a people of power, who have got hold of God's word and have allowed God's word to get hold of us. And I want to encourage you. We are living in exciting times, but you have to see that by faith. You have to stop looking with worldly eyes and start looking at what God's saying. And God's saying that this nation is coming to a place where there will be a great revival. And it will spread out from those people that are hungriest for his word and his spirit to be released in them. Are you hungry? Then I want to encourage you. Hunger and thirst after God. Pray and ask him what he wants you to do. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Praise God.